Carpe Diem? More like Diem Carpe. We'll let the day seize us on this episode of Live Happy Now. The ancient Greeks defined happiness as the joy you feel moving towards your potential. To think about positive psychology, it's a science, and it's actually younger than the Internet, believe it or not. The reality is that social connection is, in the research, the greatest predictor we have of long-term happiness. You have some factors in your control that can promote the health and resilience and growth of your absolutely most important asset, which is your brain. And so it all comes down to understanding ourselves. There's a way for all of us to succeed, but, but it might take different things. We're all looking for the same thing, and that's a way to bring a little bit more joy to our day. Join us as we look at the many different paths that lead us to that happy place. This is Live Happy Now. Hello and greetings once again. I am your host, J.R. Houston, and this is the Live Happy Now podcast. Thrilled that you're joining us wherever you are in the world and however you may be listening. We're also very, very thankful for those of you that participated in the International Day of Happiness just a few days ago. And, of course, all of you who shared your hashtag happy acts with us on social media. It was really cool seeing things come in from all across the country as we tried to make social media happy again. We also want to thank those of you who are subscribed to Live Happy Magazine, whether you get the print edition or the digital edition. Of course, the print edition is available on newsstands everywhere. You can also subscribe to those. And you can get the digital edition. It's available on your tablets or your phones. You can take it anywhere now by going to the Google Play Store or the Apple Store and downloading it. There are free things that uh, go along with it and all kinds of special features. So we encourage you to subscribe however you would like to, and you will get happiness tips and happiness stories delivered right to your inbox, whether it's a physical or electronic one. Well, we're really excited about this guest today. I got to tell you, I'm excited about this conversation that you're about to hear. It was so fun to put together, talking with Eric Wall, an artist, author, and entrepreneur, internationally recognized as a thought-provoking graffiti artist, but the good kind. He's one of the most sought-after speakers on the corporate lecture circuit to audiences as diverse as companies like Disney, Microsoft, Toyota, even government officials and university students have had Eric on. And we were really excited when he joined us. Eric, it, it is such a pleasure to have you on the show. I've got to say, though, disciplined creativity. When I think of a world-renowned and uh, much sought-after a graffiti artist, I don't think of disciplined creativity. I, I think it's so amazing that you've come up uh, with this idea. Thanks, thanks for joining us, man. I appreciate it. Hey, my my pleasure. I, I love what you guys are doing. I'm glad that the doctor's in. I'm happy to have an appointment <laughs> and able to just kind of talk through some of these things. But you know, it is. I'm glad that is a little bit shocking. I'm a a bit of a, a disruptive strategist. And so really when I, when I um, talk about the discipline of creativity, creativity without discipline is like a river without banks. And so it's really important to me that we focus on the action and the execution and the, the science behind what we're doing uh, to activate our own creativity. And so it's, it's, that's the paradox is that it's actually structure creates freedom. And, and I mm. love that concept uh, because that's what really I've been living for the last 15 years, but I hadn't really put it into words or translated it. I kind of took it for granted that I, I come from a very uh, disciplined alpha male athletic background, but I've really migrated into a much more 
creative, disruptive, exploratory um, kind of style of speaking, performing, writing, doing. And so I, yeah. I love the fact that I finally have, have really put them together uh, and shown them as complementary forces working together as opposed to uh, polar opposites constantly clashing up against each other. So that's really been my mission statement or kind of the alarm clock that gets me out of bed each morning is that idea that we all have access to creativity. We're all creative because we're all human. It's Mm. a matter of a disciplined approach by which to be able to activate that every single day, activate it amidst uncertainty, activate it against, uh, you know, complexities and frustrations and continue looking for ways to be disciplined in our approach to being creative. Just like I think we need to be disciplined in our approach to expressing gratitude, disciplined in our approach to experiencing joy. I think they're all disciplines. It's a matter of uh, mental toughness and focus to be able to bring them to life. And that's one thing we always talk about here is that this process that we're going through, this idea of choosing happiness or being more mindful or expressing your gratitude, it's it's not something that you can just suddenly say, yeah, I'm going to do that, and then suddenly you're great at it, right? It's a, it's a, You have to practice it. You have to do something every day uh, to, to get better at it. I think that's a, a really important idea to express. And to be very aware that life is very busy. We've got information overload. We've got all kinds of distractions that are are taking us away from gratitude, from joy, from creativity. And so we really do need to be intentional in in our approach and be mindful. And what, what I appreciate so much about Live Happy Now, so many of the podcasts that I've been doing have uh, our interviews are really business focused, really focusing on leadership or service or adapting to change or technology. And I really like those because I've really been leaning into, hey, if you want to get better at those things, you need to be more mindful. You need to be more grateful. You you need to explore meditation. And with with your listeners, as I look through many of your past episodes, you already got, you already have the happiness, the joy, the gratitude, the meditation. That's that's right down your strike zone. So yeah. I would, you know, I'm excited about talking about really the, the science and the discipline and the hard work and the analytics and the routine and the structure that goes into each one of those elements that, that really does, uh, for me personally, I use the word activate or ignite them, bring them to fruition in my own life. They're, they're all a disciplined process, very mindful. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it's something that obviously, yeah, these, these things can, can help your, your corporation or your business or your work life or whatever. If you're putting them into practice in your own life, you know, happier people will tend to that, that, that kind of, it's infectious, right? But, but it's got to start with you, the listener, the, the individual that's listening to this right now. You've got to make that choice and you've got to make these practices. And, and with you, with yourself, you're a very creative person, obviously. You've done a tremendous artwork, a tremendous speaking all around the world. So you're very, you're very in tune with the idea of how creativity uh, can lead to happiness. What, what, what ways does creativity lead to happiness for you? It, it, it expands my consciousness. It, it helps me be fully present in the now, not anxious about the future, not uh, stressed or worried about the past. When I'm, when I'm fully present, when I've decluttered my mind, uh, that is when I'm the most creative. That's when I'm the most open to new ideas, to being 
agile, uh, to be adaptive so that I can explore further grounds, push boundaries, and uh, be open to, you know, in this case, happiness, joy, gratitude, but also innovations, new writing, new art, new discovery. That fascinates me, and that, that's what gets me excited each day is that opportunity uh, to create new things. Uh, that just it, it it really excites me, and I think it excites a lot of people. I mean, you mentioned we're all people; we all have the capacity to be creative. There's some people that are just like, oh no, you know, I'm not really all that that good about it. Do you think finding a structure for uh, or a routine or something for for trying to be creative is something that can help ignite, as you say, their creativity? It is. We first need to kind of reverse engineer or deconstruct why we use that default language, like, ah, I don't have a creative bone in my body, or I'm just not all that creative, or we don't see ourselves as a poet, an artist, a dancer, a creator. We see ourselves, you know, as much more pragmatic. We're uh, very analytical and structured in how we go about our day. And it goes back to our early childhood, where a lot of our creative nature was, was learned out of us. We were taught to sit in straight rows. We were taught to test for the test, to become standardized, to think in a linear, homogenous fashion. And that's good for early learning. But when that becomes everything for us, when the SAT test or elite prep schools, not nothing against all of those, but when we simply become academically efficient robots, we lose a lot of our uh, innate creativity. We lose our passion for creating and really even our curiosity. So I, I tend to use this language like any lack of creativity in our lives as adults is simply a lack of curiosity. Hmm. It's a lack, it's a lack of that, uh, you know, what, how we learned to walk. No one gave us a manual on how to walk. We, we did it through trial and error. We got up, we tried, we fell down, but our ego wasn't involved. People didn't think, oh, you know what, I'm a, I'm a real lousy walker. I think I'm not going to do this. That childlike passion was unsatiable. We had to get up and figure out the way to walk, so we did. And then with talking, the same thing. Yeah. But as as we became older, uh, we became aware of our ego. We became aware of other people, and we said, ah, you know what, I'm not that great of an artist, or I don't sing as well as Susie or Johnny sings, so I'm not a singer. I don't dance as good as that. I don't write as good. I don't paint as good. So we begin to, to really back ourselves and insulate ourselves from our potential based on our early ego by our early well-meaning parents, our well-meaning teachers. You know, they want the best for us, but that's all they know is this structure of logic and routine and analyticals and reading and writing and math. And so we just what gets rewarded gets done. If, if our children were rewarded or affirmed for their creativity, then, then they would do it more. Uh, they are rewarded for getting 20 out of 20 on their spelling test. They're rewarded for performing well in their mathematics. And so children naturally migrate that direction. So as adults, what gets rewarded gets done. I tell a lot of parents, if your child you know, shows early talent or a creative pursuit, is to you know, don't don't impose that on the school system to you know explore that creativity. That's on the parent. Then they need to maybe co- commission your child with ice cream to to paint a picture of what you want to be when you grow up. Write me a poem about how much your mother means to you. And if you do, I'll take you out for uh, 
you know, Chuck E. Cheese or we'll go <laughs> get ice cream or we'll go have a play date. And so what gets rewarded gets done. And so that's really what I encourage in, in adults with young kids and for parents or for, uh, you know, professionals is to find ways to reward yourself for creative pursuits. And uh, there's so much that I could go on about this. I, I, I'll let, I, I, I get fired. I get fired up, and I realize that I need to be concise. I'll let you go ahead and ask the the next question. But I could I could, I could speak on this for uh, probably an entire day consecutively. But I want to I want to get to what your leader your uh, listeners want most. Well, I, I like the road you're headed down with with because I, I always whenever we're talking about something and and whenever we can talk about kids, I think. The reason that a lot of us adults are struggling with these things is because exactly what you're talking about. We weren't trained uh, in those in those ways. I mean, a lot. Of, some of us were. Some of us had the type of parents that were very encouraging of our of our uh, creative pursuits and those sorts of things. But but some weren't. Many many weren't. And it's you know you've got to buckle down. You've got to do your schoolwork. You've got to do this and this, and then you've got to go do the next thing as well. I do think incentivizing kids and and getting them in those practices early is incredibly important. One thing you mentioned that kind of struck me is that people get to the point where ah, I can't draw very well or I'm not that good a painter, and they kind of get away from it, even if it's a way that they can very easily express their feelings or their emotions or their opinions. It's so weird to me that they would stop themselves because – I mean, you look at Renaissance painters, they were very good at what they did. Then you look at Picasso, completely different things going on on the canvas, but it's still art. Who's to say what's art and what's not? The the master in anything was once a beginner. What, the reason that Picasso is so brilliant is not because we necessarily like or don't like his art as it stands right now. That's uh, De Gustavus Non Disputum or Degustibus est non disputandum. There, there is no disputing taste. Whether you appreciate the photorealism of Michelangelo or the abstraction of Picasso, what Picasso did was change the game. He changed the rules for how we look at art. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like to go back to, again, that, that initial, as we deconstruct why we are the way we are, why we think in such siloed, linear, analytical, logical terms is because, again, that's the way we were raised, but we were trained that art is kind of an extra. It is kind of a side project or hobby after your real work is done. And and I get it. That's what's around us by our well-meaning parents and even professionals. But the key takeaway here, the punchline, is, is that art is not a product. But rather, art is a, is a process of – I'm sorry, yes. art is not about producing a product. It's about producing thinking. Yeah. And if we look at that as our children, is what, what we're doing is we're allowing them the capability to be open, uh, have an expanded consciousness so that they can navigate ambiguity, so that they can master complexities, so that uh, when life changes, they don't fall apart, that we're not too rigid, that we've got some fluidity to the way our mind works and how we problem solve so that we can change with how crazy life is. We're, humans are complex. Life mm-hmm. is complex. We suffer. We experience joy. We experience happiness. We experience sadness. And all of those things are so good for us, and they're good for our children. We shouldn't insulate them from suffering. We shouldn't insulate them from pain or rejection or setbacks. What we want to do is walk them through it 
so that they're able to have the skills and the mental capacity to overcome it on their own. So they don't have to, to numb the pain and the suffering when they get older. So they don't need to take a pill or have escapism be the yeah. reason for how they, how they insulate themselves from setbacks. They need to work through it and to grow stronger, more resilient, uh, toughen themselves up by facing some of those resistances. If we want to grow or grow our bodies, become more healthy, become stronger, we go to the gym to face resistance, to face hardship. And the same thing with our creativity. If we want to become more creative, we have to face some of those hardships, some of that suffering, some of that setbacks. You know, maybe some of our art isn't received the way that we thought it was supposed to. Maybe our ego takes a ding. But separating our ego from that product and realizing that this is all a fluid, dynamic process. This is how we discover. This is how we experience life. This is what makes us curious. This is what makes us alive. And living full is the full spectrum of happiness, sadness, joy, pain. It's all good. It's all human. We just need to embrace it differently. Absolutely. And one thing that I think kind of goes along with that idea is when you're being creative or you're just being a person who wants to improve is opening yourself up to someone with a critical eye for what you're doing, whether it's, you know, someone who can tell you, oh, well, this is good with what you're painting. This is good. Maybe work on this or whether it's, you know, you're very good at these tasks at work, but these are some things you can work on. It'll help clarify to you what your strengths are and will give you the opportunity to improve upon the things that you can improve upon. Is, do you find that to be true? Yes. What it, what it does is, is as we seek mastery, mastery comes after passion. So an example is with, with my children, as I want them to learn music, I don't sit them down at the piano or the, you know, the guitar and teach them pentatonic scales. That's going to bore them. Yeah. What I need to do first, what I need to do first is to fascinate them. I want to teach them three chords. I want to teach them G, C, and D, and then let them rock. And then they realize <laughs> how, how many songs they can actually sing by these three simple chords. And then they come back to me and say, Dad, can you teach us another chord? You know, uh, not tonight. I, you know, you're only good with, I need, we need to wait another night before I teach you another chord. And that way they're, they're seeking out um, new music rather than me imposing on them music. And I think if we turn our you know, music lessons around, if we turn our educational system around, if we turn how we teach our kids around into a, a level of fascination about history, a fascination about mathematics, a fascination about art history, then they come to us and it just blows up. It, it ignites itself with um, autotelic, which means self-driven passion. Um, and that's what I think is being learned out of us in our school system, uh, even oftentimes in our well-meaning parenting, is we're squelching that fascination and that passion for why we do what we do. And the more that parents and educators and corporate leaders can fuel uh, I, I, fascination, uh, that, that I think is, is where true employee engagement, true academic wisdom, and even childbearing or parenting uh, comes to life. Yeah, I think that's very interesting that that you say that we've it's kind of been learned out of us because I'm thinking back to my my uh, elementary school onto high school onto college and onto my adult life. It was always like, well, what you want to do can wait until you've done all of this stuff. Like you have to learn this and this and this and this. Is there? There's got to be a way where we can foster 
both the things that you really need to know and learning your craft or, or what what fuels your uh, passion, right? Is there some kind of way that we can do both? That's the, the beauty of balance, the beauty of living with both the yin and the yang of, in this case, creativity, the, the imagination and exploration along with the discipline of action and hard work. So it's not either or. It's yes and. In leadership, uh, if we are uh, on one side of the spectrum, if we look at them as you know, kind of balanced on a fulcrum or, or a weighted scale, on one side would be confidence and courage, and on the other side would be humility and curiosity. And this is kind of Cat Cole's, uh, the leader of Focus Brand, the president of Focus Brand's analogy, and I love it because if we become too confident and too courageous, our leadership can maybe come off as arrogant or uh, hubris. If we become too humble or too curious, we might seem a little tone deaf to actionable discipline. And so it's that weighted balance. And the same thing with curiosity. If we become too, I'm sorry, yeah, same thing with creativity. If we become too explored, uh, wanting to discover, wanting to imagine, wanting to expand, then we're, then we're whimsical and we're kind of waiting for creativity to happen to us. Mm-hmm. If we become too disciplined, too structured, too analytical, then our creativity really gets squelched. So it's, it's that balance between the two, just like it's the balance in, in leadership, the balance in life, the balance in joy and pain. It, it's all in that balance would really be what I think is the most fascinating about bringing creativity to life because we do need all of those structures and routines or else creativity just remains pipe dreams. It just remains uh, that kind of side activity that we do after the hard work is done. And so we need to change our relationship with creativity, our understanding of creativity, by which to be able to to activate it and bring bring structure to it. And there's there's so many ideas within this book. Again, the spark and the grind, ignite the power of discipline, creativity, and there's so many steps. I don't want to give too much away, but I like a, a couple of these ideas. Defamiliarize the ordinary. Consciously put yourself into uncomfortable situations to produce new and better ideas, which I mean, I think if I think of my favorite comedians or writers or late night television hosts, uh it's the people that are trying new things, whether they're going to be massive success or big flops, they're willing to put themselves out there and hopefully something will, will catch. Is that kind of what you mean by that? Or is there something different? No, it's that, it's that art of improv. Uh, maybe one of the most underutilized, uh, most valuable skills uh, that we could tap into is just this yes and philosophy. So, so trying new things and not being resistant, not uh, expressing our cognitive biases or our own uh, personal narratives, that we're able to flow with the situation and be a part of it, be a part of the dynamic changes. And I think that's what you appreciate so much about these musicians and writers and comedians, is they really feel authentic to you. It mm-hmm. doesn't feel like a script or a routine or a lecture. It feels like a share. It feels like they're just flowing with their information. And that, that just feels very authentic. And that authenticity is attractive. It's what draws us to them. It's, it's really what uh, um, charms us. And I think yeah. it, it, there's a, a really neat quality about that. 
one thing you mentioned the authenticity of it and it, it kind of goes into another one of your ideas which was to stay foolish and embrace the the beginner's mindset i think one thing that that my wife will always tell me she appreciates is we'll go to a city or we'll we'll travel we'll go do something that she's done before but i've never done it and i've never been to this place or whatever and she enjoys the idea that i'm experiencing this for the first time so i'm really excited that i'm getting to do it but she gets to sort of experience it new again. So I, I like the idea of, of keeping the beginner's mindset when you're doing things. I think that keeps the, the passion from sort of running out on you. I, I love that your wife encourages that. And, you know, I experienced that with my boys. I've, I have three now teenage boys, but I think a lot of your listeners are parents. And they get yep. to see the world again for the first time. Maybe they get to see some movies again for the first time. They get to go to new cities again for the first time. And I, I think that is, it's almost the opposite of, of carpe diem. It'd be like diem carpe. Let the moment seize you again. Let the city seize you again. See it for the first time again through beginner's eyes. And oftentimes we get to do that through the eyes of a loved one who hasn't, hasn't seen it before or a person who hasn't experienced this before. And I think, I think uh, that awakens us as well. Uh, you mentioned the, the seeing the films. I'm thinking about it now, and I talked to my dad about this recently. Uh, he was a little kid when the original Star Wars came out, and he, my aunt was much older than him, took him, and he was just blown away by all of this. And then I was a young kid when they redid all of the original ones and put all the digital stuff in there or whatever, and I was blown away by it. But my dad took me, and I, I think he said that that was the most fun he'd had in a theater for years was watching me watch Star Wars for the first time. Uh, and I, I had, I actually had the the reverse of that, uh, where I took my boys because they had seen the uh, the new ones with all the tricked out graphics and amazing fight oh, scenes yeah. and CGI. And then I said, hey, let's go back and watch the first ones that I saw when I was a kid. And it's almost slow. It's almost uh, it lacks the entertainment value just because the fascination quality the. I have used that word several times yeah. because it's been on my it, it's been on, it's been on my mind, uh, but it mesmerizes us. And uh, my boys, they weren't as they didn't come alive as, as much as I did when I first saw those. So uh, it works it works both ways, and I get to see the new movies to their eyes, and they get to see hey. Uh, back in the day when dad was a kid and he saw the original Star Wars, this is all they had. You know, they used corded phones. They yeah. used this thing, this thing, this thing called a typewriter. Uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's giving them a connection to what my childhood was like before we had all this amazing technology, before we had the internet, before we had, uh, so many of the social media capabilities that we have now. I want my boys to, to be able to experience all that and to realize that, it's not good or bad. It just it just is, and this is what we had. And their kids will be radically different than they are right now, and that's just the changing times. It's it's so great to talk to you, and I just looked up at the clock and realized that we're about out of time on this episode. And I'm going to make the executive decision because the producer is sitting right here listening, and our booking agent uh, is, is listening as well. We've got to have you back on the show uh, very soon because I, th there's so much more we could go into. I know you feel the same way, so uh, it, it would be such a, a pleasure to have you back on very, very soon. But but thanks for taking some time out here today to, to talk with us and, and kind of at least, uh, if not scratch the surface, at least touch it uh, for the first time. Thanks so much. Hey, my pleasure. And thank you to everyone that, that listened, that tuned in, that still 
uh, listening at the back end of this. I, I really do appreciate it. Uh, if and when, when I come back, I promise I'll strike the word fascination from the lexicon. <laughs> and I got, I, got, I got caught in my own creative rut there, and the, viewer, the listeners got to hear it real time. But it, it, this does excite me. That is a word that I'm drawn to right now. But next yeah. time it will be probably something different, and we'll have an entirely different conversation, and it will um, bring new things. And, and that just excites me also. Absolutely. We're, we're already looking forward to it. So thank you again for stopping by. The book is The Spark and the Grind, Ignite the Power of Discipline, Creativity, and the other book that you've written, uh, Unthink. We'll encourage people to grab both of them. Thanks, for, thanks again for stopping by, and we'll look forward to seeing you down the road. My pleasure, JR. Thanks for the time. I'm glad the doctor was in. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> If you would like a free sketch note of this episode, you can go to livehappynow.com and watch a video of Eric creating a masterpiece in just two minutes. Very cool stuff. And uh, again, I think we are definitely going to be talking to him sometime in the near future. We appreciate you tuning in. We would like to talk to you sometime in the near future. You can do that by reaching out to us online. You can find us on Twitter at livehappy, facebook.com slash livehappy, or you can send us an email podcast at livehappy.com. For everyone here at Live Happy Magazine and the Live Happy Now podcast, I am J.R. Houston saying so long and thank you for helping us to live happy.